Why are police photographing our license plate? What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk news radio program, and my Reasonable Voice today is Peter Russolo. Peter Russolo has a B.A., summa cum laude, from Yale University, and a J.D. from Harvard Law School. Currently, Peter Russolo is an op-ed columnist. His column is Peter's Take, ARLnow.com. We'll talk about that if we get a chance, because Peter's uh, back today to talk about a lot of things that concern elections, particularly in this year, 2018. Peter Russolo, good afternoon, and welcome back to The Reasonable Voices. How are you? Thank you very much, Marcello. I'm fine. I'm looking forward to uh, speaking with you. Well, we are in fast forward on so many issues in this country, but certainly politics. So let's get right to it. Peter Russolo is on the board of the Together Virginia PAC. And my first question then, Peter, for all of us is, why was the Together Virginia PAC founded? Yes, well, it's a great question. We founded the Virginia PAC at the beginning of last year, 2017, and the goal of our PAC was to bring together the perspectives of Democrats in the rural and urban parts of Virginia, two parts of Virginia that often don't talk enough to each other. Mm. Uh, Our goal was to uh, get that dialogue going and then to help support Democratic candidates in the rural parts of the state who could have a message that would resonate everywhere uh, and appeal to Democrats across the state of Virginia. Ah, excellent. What month did you say last year? Are you that was year? January of 2017. So we've been in business now for about a year and three quarters. Yes. Well, you're seeing progress in, in your mission? I think we are. And right now we are uh, very strongly supporting a candidate in the 8th Delegate District of Virginia, Carter Turner. Yes who is running to fill an unexpectedly open seat 
in that district, which includes uh, portions of Roanoke County. And the, there are many important aspects to this. Carter is a terrific candidate. He's a former uh, Democratic chair in that area. And if Carter could win this race, it would alter the balance of power in the House of Delegates because it would go from 51-49 Republican to Democrat to 50-50. Mm-hmm. And that would really affect how business is conducted beginning in the next legislative session in 2019. Oh, there's partisanship everywhere, and it certainly seems to be increasing in its extremes. But what do you think about the partisanship in the Virginia House of Delegates and the Virginia General Assembly? Is it worse, better, about the same as it is nationally? What are your thoughts? Well, up until the elections last year, it was pretty partisan and pretty extreme, not as partisan and extreme as nationally, but excessively partisan, I would Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, the gains that the Democrats made in 2017, the huge gains they made really going from 34 uh, elected delegates to 49, Mm has improved things somewhat, and there's more dialogue now than there was uh, before then. Gotcha. Is that part of, or does that contribute to um, this special election I've been hearing about to uh, fill the vacancy? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. And and Carter Turner is a, one of many reasons we're supporting him. He is focused really on the bread and butter issues that people in his district care about. Prominently among them is I-81, the big highway that goes through his district. There are lots of problems with this highway. There are fatalities have increased substantially. The truck traffic is so heavy that people who are just trying to commute between parts of the district are very frustrated. The prior incumbent Republican candidate didn't do anything to help with this problem. Mm. Carter's focusing on that as well as other issues that uh, people in the district really care about. So many of us, media in particular, are focused on the national politics, whether they be conservative or liberal, whatever you call it, that we forget too often, not always, but too often that uh, Americans out there, as as a, I knew an attorney once, very good friend of mine, argued before the Supreme Court, very much involved in the Canadian-American agreement on the environment and all that, and he he said to me, fortunately when I was very young, he said to me, Marcello, what you liberal Democrats, he was a conservative Democrat, I didn't even know what that was, but he said to me, what you liberals don't understand is that America is not just the East and West Coast. It's what's between the two. I think what you're saying about Carter Turner, it sounds like he's doing a better job. How can we follow his example? Well, I uh, I do think he's doing a very good job. I mean, all of us Democrats have those national issues that we really care deeply about and that make us Democrats. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to abandon those at all, particularly in these Trump-era times. But a lot of people 
in rural parts of the state and, and all parts of the state in their day-to-day lives, they care about these kinds of issues mm. like solving the problem of just going on this I-81 road, solving problems of broadband access. Rural yes. parts of Virginia really don't have very good access to the internet. Mm. And if you're trying to start a business in your home of whatever kind and you can't get access to the internet, well, you're really stuck. Yes. And these are the things that, that kind of people talk about when you sit down across the table from them. And that's what he's focused on. Yes. You know, when someone says bread and butter issues, we think about, and rightly so, we think about uh, employment, we think about income, we think about providing for one's family, and all of that is absolutely essential in everyone's life. But I think also you're making the point, and let's, let's elaborate if we can, embellish that a bit, that beyond that there are bread and butter issues across America, and, and that is education. And not just school book education, as important as that is, but, but being informed on a daily basis with some kind of balanced input that you can analyze, you can research online, and then make your decisions, whatever they happen to be. Tell us more about how important that is to to you, to the Democratic Party, and to Americans in general, especially in Virginia. I think it's really vital. I mean, we, we talk about the information age, and we've been exposed over the last year and three quarters uh, with Trump as president to efforts to pretend that there's no such thing as objective news, that it's all fake news Mm. and so on. That's just a terrible thing to happen to this country Mm. that that Trump and his backers have pursued. We do have real news. Your program provides real news. Thank you. And the ability of people in their own homes and in their own lives to access facts to understand how other people are dealing with those facts, to share with other people in their own community, but also in other parts of the state, for example, uh, how people are solving problems and who has the best solution. That's really a critical thing to happen in these times, and we want to support candidates who facilitate that, encourage that, like Carter Turner, and, and other candidates who, who are focused on that and are not being distracted by abstract ideological debates that, that may have their place, but that really aren't impacting most Americans on a day-to-day basis. Do you, and thanks for the compliment, by the way, but do you, um, let's put it this way, uh, Leslie Coburn, who's Democrat candidate in the 5th District for Congress, had a rally and to remind people about the election day. And we know election day, to be clear for everyone, Tuesday, November 6th is fast approaching. Can you give us, Peter, your take on some uh, Democratic possibilities to win seats in U.S. House of Representatives? Of course, you can include the House of Delegates in Virginia as well. What do you anticipate? What do you think are the possibilities? How are Democrats doing? And by that, I don't just mean Democratic candidates or even the Democratic Party. I mean people who believe in democracy. Are we getting any new members, younger members? Who's going to carry on? 
Well, I'll start sort of from a national perspective, and then I would like to talk a little bit about some of the Virginia congressional races. Yes. I do think that really starting last year and continuing right up to the present time, Democrats have been energized by what they have seen uh, that they thought was part of the national fabric being Mm. torn apart at the national level by the president and the practices that he has pursued. And this has translated into bringing lots of new energy, new people and new ideas into the Democratic Party all over the country and and in Virginia as well. This has been wonderful. Instead of people uh, sort of falling back on old ways of of doing things, and and I mean that now focusing on the Democratic Party, we've got lots of new people, lots of new ideas, lots of new energy, and people are showing up. Yes. Uh, That's also part of the message of the Together Virginia PAC, which is you've got to show up, you've got to listen, you've got to talk to people with with other ideas and, and bring them in. And so this has been happening nationally, and I think that at least as of right now, this this is very promising for the possibility of the Democratic uh, Party candidates uh, taking over control, at least in the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm -hmm. And here in Virginia, we have actually seven races in congressional districts in which there is either a Republican incumbent or an open seat in which the Republican has uh, elected not to run for re-election. And we've got great candidates in all of these races, Mm. and we have a chance to win all of them and and a very good chance to win some of them. I mean, you mentioned Leslie in the 5th Congressional District. That's, That's a case where there's an open seat. So her uh, Republican opponent is is not an incumbent. Mm -hmm. She's been running a strong race. Uh, There are lots of people I know in the 5th Congressional District who are enthusiastic about her race. And then we've got Vangie Williams running in the 1st Congressional District, Elaine Luria in the 2nd, Jennifer Lewis in the 6th, Abigail Spanberger in the Mm -hmm. 7th, Anthony Flacavento in the ninth, and Jennifer Wexton in the 10th. And those are the, the congressional districts that are on the November 6th ballot that we're pushing to, to win. Yes. Do you feel, as I do, that uh, the names you've mentioned are really doing well, but definitely can't take anything for granted? We've, we've got to get the people out. What are, you, what are your thoughts? You see... Well, I mean, they, they're all wonderful candidates. They're all doing well. They're all benefiting from the energy and enthusiasm that we were discussing a few minutes ago. In the case of Jennifer Wexton, who's running in the 10th Congressional District, which mm. is up closer to where I live, yes. I think that all the signs are that she's ahead. Mm-hmm. She is running against an incumbent, but there's a lot of energy in the campaign. And so of all these races, I think she is likely to win. And that just requires that the volunteers and others who are working in her campaign need to keep it up and keep it at the same level. In the case 
of the 7th Congressional District, Abigail Spanberger, somebody who really wasn't well-known sort of in political circles until uh, she announced that she was running for this seat, Mm -hmm. uh, which is currently held by Dave Brad, a Republican, who in some ways is kind of an accidental uh, congressman because he upset a longtime incumbent who never paid attention to the district, and the Republicans ousted the incumbent and put in Dave Brat. But Abigail Spanberger just posted wonderful fundraising totals for the uh, third quarter. She raised a tremendous amount of money, close to $3 million, putting her in a very competitive position with Brat. So she's, she is really running a great campaign. Elaine Luria in the 2nd Congressional District is close in some of the recent polling. She's not quite even with Scott Taylor, but she is running a very strong campaign. She has an impressive background in the military. That's a district where a lot of military families live. Mm. And the incumbent uh, Republican Scott Taylor uh, was sort of tied up in a scandal over uh, an effort to use a petition drive to get another candidate on the ballot to try to divert votes from Elaine Luria that he didn't think he could get himself, and Mm. that failed. And So those are a couple of others where they're they're really competitive. And in in some of these other races, Anthony Flaccavento, for instance, is in the 9th Congressional District, is uh, running in a district that was voted very heavily for Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. But it's a rural district. It overlaps where uh, Carter Turner is running for the House of Delegates. But Anthony Flaccavento has been running a great campaign. He's got an incumbent there, Morgan Griffith, who has been kind of coasting resting on his laurels, not really paying attention to the needs of his constituents. Mm -hmm. And Anthony Flaccavento is using many of these approaches to rural voters in his district that that Together Virginia has also supported. Fantastic. Our reasonable voice today, Peter Russolo, attorney at law, who is a member of the board of Together Virginia. We'll be right back. Please stay with us. And now, enjoy Watchfire Music featuring vocal artist Jenny Burton singing Tear Down the House from Is Anybody Listening? Yeah. 
Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio News Show. I'm Marcello Rolando, your host, and again, our guest is Peter Russolo, attorney, BA summa cum laude from Yale University, JD Harvard Law School, currently an op-ed columnist, Peter's Take, at arlnow.com. And we've been talking politics, particularly democratic politics and how the Democratic Party nationally and in the Commonwealth of Virginia trying to reach out and unite urban area Democrats and, and rural area Democrats. And I think I'd like to start off with a question. How are farmers being affected by Donald Trump in particular, but but generally conservative politics that I guess they've usually supported? And what is the Democratic Party's response to what's happening to farmers? That's my question. This is a complicated issue because people who farm different crops can be affected differently by some of the things that Trump is doing. Some of his trade policies and his war with the Chinese Mm. have cut off markets for farmers, um, for example, in the Midwest who have soybeans, soybeans as a principal uh, crop. Mm. And the the huge tariffs uh, that Trump's trying to impose on some uh, Chinese imports have led the Chinese to retaliate, for example, and to stop buying soybeans from sources in primarily in the Middle West that they uh, previously bought from. And I, I think the 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 issue with respect to family farms is complicated. A lot of it depends also on uh, understanding that you know Trump made some pretty emotional and baseless appeals to voters uh, in in rural areas who who were farming in in 2016 in his campaign. But uh, he just hasn't systematically followed through to help on on issues like broadband access that I mentioned. Yes. On really helping people in in their day-to-day lives. They gravitated to Trump, I think, because he did have a, the, a message on these ideological issues. Mm-hmm. And I think what Democrats need to do is uh, really go out, meet with people where they live, where they work, on their farms, sit across the kitchen table and listen. You know, don't come in there and start spewing a bunch of talking points, but listen to what people, what people say their own problems are, and then offer a solution rather than coming in like the uh, fancy professor and, and saying, let me tell you what you need to do. Mm. I couldn't agree more. This divide that, I mean, Trump didn't create it, but he certainly has exploited it and uh, enlarged it for his own benefit. But what about, what do you think about this bump, supposedly, that uh, the Republican Party got because of the Kavanaugh hearings? Any thoughts about how that might affect uh, Democrats in the midterm? Yes, I've read a little bit about that, and I've got a couple of thoughts. I think that there may well have been some kind of a bump among Republican voters who 
originally thought that the Trump administration wasn't doing enough to get Kavanaugh confirmed. Mm. And uh, as, as, as I look at the, the so-called bump, as horrible and as unjudicial as Kavanaugh's performance mm. uh, when he uh, made his presentation to the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, as horrible as it was, what he said, the way he said it, which was very off-putting to people who were looking for an impartial umpire as a judge, yes. uh, appealed to the Republican base as the kind of fighting that they, that the real diehard people like. But I don't think that the average voter who is not a Republican operative really wants to see this sort of fighting. They certainly don't want judges who sit on cases that might that they might be involved in, where if they have some local dispute, they don't want to have a judge is screaming and is as out of control and emotional as Kavanaugh was. Mm. And so... While I think it, it may have appealed to these diehards, the diehards were already diehards. Yes. And they weren't likely to leave the Trump campaign. But the more mainstream, even Republican mainstream voter and, and Democratic voter were put off by it. And independents as well. I, 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 oh, definitely. Yeah, I agree with you. But I ask you, because you are an attorney, therefore a legal professional, and have an intimate grasp of what is proper judicial behavior. So thank you for that answer. What are your expectations from Kirk Cox? I mean, he's the Speaker of the House of Delegates, especially as they pertain to the... 11 Virginia House delegate uh, districts that are based on racial gerrymandering. What do you think? Is he, what's he going to do? Yes, well, this this has been a fast-moving situation. The, this racial gerrymandering case went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. They ruled that, um, indeed, there had been racial gerrymandering. They sent the case back to a lower court. The lower court set a deadline of the end of this month for the legislature and the governor to produce a jointly agreed upon new plan for those delegate districts that complied with the Supreme Court's order. And beginning, you know, many weeks ago, there's been sparring between uh, Cox and Governor Northam and others in the legislature over how to respond to this. Mm-hmm. And the Republicans put forth a proposed plan, which was really flawed and didn't comply with the problems the Supreme Court had ruled on. And this is a primarily conservative U.S. Supreme Court that had held that the existing districts violated the law. Yes. So the Republicans, with Cox as their leader, uh, came up with this plan. But Governor Northam saw through the the problems with it, and he said, well, if you pass that, I'm going to veto it. Mm The legislature recognized that they certainly didn't have the votes to override such a veto. So where we are today, basically, is uh, unless something happens between now and the end of this month, the deadline is going to come and go, and that means the, the end of the month deadline, and that means a court 
using a special master is going to draw the new delegate district line. Mm. And actually, what I think is that's better in the long run for Democrats Mm -hmm. than trying to do it in the legislature because uh, we've just been unable to make a fair deal Mm -hmm. with the Republicans. They have refused to make a fair deal. And I think the court is likely to produce something better than nothing, which is the result of where we are today. Yes. So then what's going to happen in this... uh... Uh, this special session that's scheduled for late October? It's been canceled because the Republicans have figured out that the kind of bias plan that they had is doesn't have enough support. And so that means the, there's going to be a default to the court to draw the lines instead of the legislature. Mm-hmm. And so what's going to happen is the court will appoint a, an expert to draft a plan, and that plan will ultimately be approved, or some modification of it will be approved by a court, and then the people who've been fighting over this will try to appeal, ultimately to the U.S. Supreme Court, the plan approved by the lower court drawn by the master, but I, I believe that that's the plan, whatever it turns out to be, that will stick, and that that new map will then be the guideline for how the House of Delegates elections in 2019 will take place. Mm. And and I guess we should remind everyone that historically, uh, all political points of view and parties have participated in gerrymandering, yes. drawing, drawing a political, uh, we should say, explain what that is. Uh, well, why don't I let you explain? <laughs> what, what, <laughs> well, what I is, think... Yeah. Uh, In a nutshell, what it is, is the party in control of the state legislature Mm -hmm. uses modern computer technology to create uh, districts that are designed to elect more of their political party than would get elected if those district lines were drawn uh, regardless of political ideology. Mm. And that has led a number of states, a good one is an example is the state of Washington, but there are a number of other states to just create a completely different process where they have a nonpartisan commission mm. uh, responsible for drawing new lines uh, based on every 10-year census data. And those states like Washington State have just produced a fairer result than the two political parties who bouncing back and forth in control of the legislature have been able to come up with. And and it's, you know, it's often said that uh, voters should choose their representatives rather than the other representatives choosing the voters. But the gerrymandering is a situation where the representatives, the incumbent representatives, choose their own voters. And that's not good. No, not for any of us. So, so I mean, it's an obvious question, but I'm still going to uh, lean on your legal expertise. Why have there been so many politicians who have resisted a newer system that sort of resembles the state of Washington? It's just the problem of getting incumbents to threaten themselves. Yes. 
by having a different system than the one they're used to, redrawing the lines. There are exceptions. There are in, in the states that have done this, that have created these these nonpartisan ways of doing it. They have, for for one reason or another, the, the partisans from across the spectrum have gotten together and said, you know, this isn't working for us and we need to change it. And, and in other states, they just haven't. And I don't have a really good explanation for why it is, but really uh, we should move, we in Virginia need to move toward this uh, process mm-hmm. of, of having a nonpartisan commission uh, doing the line drawing and not the, the incumbent uh, partisan politician. Absolutely. Well, we have talked, Peter, about, like I say, what I call the three divides, the the gender divide, certainly we've discussed, the educational and eco- economic divide that affects, you know, not only urban areas, but rural areas and farmers. How about this, the racial divide? And I want to, I'm asking you specifically because I know most of the candidates running for state and uh, national office in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And my question is, are they reaching across that racial divide to to break through the racial historical, racial bias and prejudice? And are they doing what you've been suggesting all along, which is sitting down across the table and listening to what people of color I have to say, and and what their concerns are. What do you think? I think I, I think they're they're doing better at it than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, some Democratic candidates even have done in the past. But these candidates this year, for example, in the congressional districts we were discussing earlier, yes, they're doing a better job of this. In the first congressional district, we have an African American candidate yes. uh, as our nominee. And she is certainly reaching across the aisle. And in the other districts, I mentioned Anthony Flaccavento in the yes. 9th District. Yes. Uh, he's doing it. I, I think all of these candidates now understand how important this is. This is one of the ways to sit down across the table instead of tossing racial stereotypes and, and appealing to everything that divides our country the way President Trump has done. You just have to do this, and the best way to do it is to just talk to people who are a different race or ethnic background mm-hmm. than you are, and that that also applies to Latino voters yes. as well. We've yes. got African American voters living in rural areas. We've got Latino voters living in rural areas as well as urban. Just sit down, talk, and and listen to what uh, what's on their mind. That's mm-hmm. That's what we need to do. Exactly. Is there any other takeaway you want us to 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 ponder on on after watching or listening to this program? Well, I'll say what where I began with this uh, for voters uh, who may be listening to the program or any uh, anyone listening to the program. Take a look at. Uh, Carter Turner's website, carterturnerfordelegate.com, all one word uh, running together there, Carter Turner for Delegate. Take a look at the issues that he's raising. 
if he could win this race in the 8th House of Delegates district and get the uh, House of Delegates to this 50-50 position, that would really help us as we go into the new year. So I'd urge your listeners to uh, take a look at this race. It's not as well publicized as the congressional races, but it would have a real impact on everyone in Virginia to improve the degree of nonpartisan discussion in the legislature. Mm. All right. And uh, any uh, website you wish to give us uh, for you? Yes, sure. That That's uh, our Together Virginia PAC website. And, uh, you know, just uh, search under Together Virginia PAC, uh, P-A-C, and you can look and see uh, as well the issues that we're stressing. And it's not spelling out Virginia. It's Together V-A-PAC, P-A-C. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, Peter, my goodness, you are always so clear and specific in your answers, and I, I greatly appreciate that because that, that gives us pause, makes us think, but most of all makes us get out and vote on Tuesday, November 6th. How's that, Peter? That's great. I really appreciate the opportunity to answer the great questions that you've posed today. Uh, your program is just a tremendous benefit to Virginians, and I urge them to continue listening and to get involved in the issues that we've been discussing. Thank you so much, Peter Russolo. And we're all going to take a look at Carter Turner's website, and who's running for Virginia's 8th Delegate District in the House of Delegates. We've been talking to Peter Russolo, a member of the Together Virginia PAC. Thank you so much, Peter, for being on the show today. Thank you. Bye now. Bye-bye. And now a special preview of Wildest Dreams, a new single by Mark Scabilia. Pacing through the dark in this cold apartment I step out on the fire escape I look at where we are and where we started And where we'd like to be someday If this is as far as we get If this is as high as we go I will rest in peace But I won't fall asleep Cause it's better than my wildest dreams And it's nothing like the world that we once imagined But doesn't it look beautiful And nothing lasts forever So whatever happens I just wanted you to know If this is as far as we get If this is as high as we go I will rest in peace But I won't fall asleep Cause it's better than my wildest dreams Oh, and I still don't
Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Reasons to resuscitate and keep America alive. Can we accept that Eric Holder was speaking metaphorically, but that a gubernatorial candidate threatening to stomp all over his opponent's face with golf spikes has more in common with an out-of-control beer-drinking SCOTUS justice than constituents exercising our exceptional First Amendment right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances? Have the members of both houses of Congress forgotten all Americans are their constituents, and that all constituents lose when lives are lost on foreign battlefields and in the pools of Pulse, Vegas, Sandy Hook, and Stoneman Douglas blood, especially when lost at the hands of unchecked gun sales and the rants of media hosts conspiring on behalf of those colluding for profit? In 2018, will we again fail to heed the division with which Trump's hyperbole and moneyed GOP packs infect well-meaning conservatives and those evangelicals who've temporarily misplaced their good Samaritan within, who, as Jesus taught and Lincoln reaffirmed, practiced malice toward none? Or shall we continue to ignore both climate change mayday and 2016's wake-up call? Have no doubt, when the attention of America's entire demographic favors facts over distortion, inciting courageous reactions to political inaction, collaboration between Trump thinking and a gubernatorial candidate wearing his Georgia Secretary of State hat, not as a metaphor, but literal Jim Crow electing voter suppression with malice aforethought. When all of Americans attend to this fact, Justice will flow like a never-ending wave. Until then, wisdom suggests we shun choices offered by a four-horsemen-in-the-apocalypse metaphor and seek to understand the 40% of us who seem willing welcome mats, tempting the demise of an all-inclusive America. Going high when they go low is easier when we internalize lessons of the historical plank in the eyes, E-Y-E-S, and eyes, A-Y-E-S, of the Democratic Party, while remaining determined not to become trumped while attempting an indivisible cure for America's anti-malice toward non-GOP. Allowing false prophets to negatively impact our faith in each other, hope for our future, and love thy neighbor as thyself, every woman and child threatened like a 14-year-old being shot at for requesting directions to his school, 
or women and children lost to sexual abuse, gun violence, or internment camps disappearing acts, or when women and children of every color are treated like a nine-year-old falsely accused of imitating his commander-in-chief's traditional groping, we entomb ourselves as collateral damage and, like ice, drift into oblivion. As master of projecting his sins, his moral bankruptcy, his hypocrisy, and his crimes, exploiting contractors, tenants, and human infrastructure for demagoguery, Donald Trump is accelerating his indiscriminate crafty white glue on the divide between male and female and Republican and Democrat. But Americans demonstrating democracy at White House doors and congressional halls of injustice expose Donald Trump as the desperate last hurrah of a Supreme Court jester. Because of current political upheaval, most of us are now rediscovering our higher selves, which isn't unprecedented. Only social media trolls and in-depth investigating reporting replaced by polarizing talking heads long to imbibe us with new normal intoxication instead of what is past is prologue truth. Better we leave such self-deception to the great pretender, mimicking 1930s bombastic nationalistic European leaders, while blithely following foreign money. While we may be living through the last stand of the angry white man, most Americans bear little psychological or electoral resemblance to men like Paul Ryan, Jason Kessler, Chuck Gracely, Mike Pence, Devin Nunes, Mitch McConnell, and Brett Kavanaugh, all aiding and abetting the worst among us. Substantiating this, however, requires embracing a higher civic and humanitarian duty to all, balancing persistently resisting our worst cultural failures with inhaling the breeze of deeply empathetic union and civility toward everyone. Is America's gathering storm, whether hurricanes like Michael, a Congress blatantly scorning less wealthy constituents, locked in lockstep with an executive branch determined to lock down America, reasonable cause to at least reconsider Jefferson's revision? Listen, villains have shadowed us forever, sometimes ravaging our vision, but only temporarily, because America is defined by voters voting millennials, and millions in peaceful assembly, the unknowns in LGBTQ, Texas border, and black while voting communities, shielding black while babysitting and the children in their care, and saving all Americans from hate crimes and presidential abuse of power. Nonetheless, it is time we discover the courage needed to replace our American exceptionalism metaphor with a reality check in both election booth and society. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.
Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the Donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.